have us do this from time to time, but just to encourage the people around you, just, just lean over and just tell them how good they look. If you really know them, give them a smell check. Like, if you really feel comfortable with them. We are still in our series entitled Keys to Effective Prayer. This will be the last week that I will be speaking into this series. The series may go a little longer, but this is the last week I'll be speaking into it. And um, so I'm excited to, to finish this up with you. However, there's, um, this morning I want to I take on a little more of a teaching tone than I usually do. And here's why. It's because, you know, we can talk about effective prayer all day long and we can give keys to effective prayer. But until we go out and start praying, we're not going to have an effective prayer life. We do not want to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Can I hear an amen? And so all this series, all these words spoken will have meant nothing if we don't take these keys and begin to use them in our prayer life. And so before I move and leave this series, I want to make sure we've got a handle on it, that you understand and have the tools and resources to have a powerful prayer life. So this morning I want to do a little more teaching style and I want to give you about six things, six keys that are, that are going to help you in your prayer life. And some of those, some of these keys are reviews, things we've already talked about. Okay. But I just want to make sure we have a grasp on them before we move forward. Here's my first key to, uh, to having an, a prayer, an effective prayer life. It's this, you have to remember that you're not an only child in the family of God is that we are interconnected. The body of Christ, we are interconnected. There is synergy in the body of Christ, amen? As we're not, we're not, we're not only children. Some of the times we wish we were, because those other people are messy, right? Not me, but other people are messy. I wish I was an only child, but you're not. I pointed out in week one of this series, um, we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, and I kind of made this point, but I've studied further into the Lord's Prayer and came to an either, even deeper realization on this idea. And it's this. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Lord's Prayer is plural. There's never a point in the Lord's Prayer where it's speaking to a singular person. In fact, Jesus uses three different pronouns. Come on, we can know what Jesus' pronouns are. That's funny. He, he used three different pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. He used our, us, and we. And he used one of those pronouns eight different times in the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you ever caught this. Remember, it starts with our Father. It's not my Father, it's our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This thing's, this thing's plural. We were meant to be connected to the body of Christ. You want to have an effective prayer life, don't just pray for yourself. Pray for somebody else. The nature of love is it moves out. The nature of selfishness is it's only concerned with what's in me and my world. So we need to pray for one another. We need to pray with one another. You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20, look at this passage. 
This is Jesus talking. He says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. You want effective prayer? Pray with other people. Pray for other people. Solicit prayers from people. You know what? At the end of every one of our services here at Victory, we have a prayer team come down here. You know why they're down here? Because they want to pray with you. You don't have to pray by yourself. Solicit the body of Christ to pray with you. I encourage you, if you're here and you need something from the Lord today, don't walk out of here and think you've got to fight this on your own. No, there is a tribe here. There is a body here who loves you, who is seeking God's face on your behalf and praying that God will show up in your world. Come on, we've got to connect with the body of Christ around us. You have to understand that this is a family thing. Prayer is a family thing. Second key to effective prayer, and, and I've hit this probably 14 times in this series already, but let's just give it a 15th blow, okay? And it's this, please listen to me. It's the key to effective prayer. Pray from a position of righteousness. Pray from a position of righteousness, knowing that if you're born again, you have made, you've been made to, to, to have right standing with God and we can go before our Father who loves us that's hard for some of us to believe because we don't understand righteousness and we have an enemy who loves to bring guilt and shame. The enemy loves guilt and shame. I mean, we see it at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden <coughs> after Adam and Eve had sinned. They're hiding from God. That was the, the work of the enemy saying, you're, you're broken now, you have to hide from God. Do you know that they didn't go looking for God? God went looking for them. And God is looking for us. He's looking for his children to have fellowship with them. But the enemy convinces so many of us that I'm not worthy. And how could I ask anything of God? Listen, because of the blood of Jesus, we are made righteous. And that's the only thing that could do it. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so we need to pray from a position of righteousness. Know that you've been made in right standing with God. And again, I've I've said that a couple times over through this series, but I want to I show you one more little, little picture that I think will help us grasp this concept. Remember in, um, in the book of Genesis, the 27th chapter, we see the account of a man named Jacob. Remember Jacob? And he had that brother named Esau. Esau was the older brother. And then you have his father was Isaac and his mother was Rebekah. Well, Jacob, his very name meant that he was a trickster. He was a surplanner. He was just a tricky dude. And um, so he wants to get the blessing that belonged to Esau. He wanted to steal the blessing from his brother. That doesn't sound very, he didn't learn that in children's church. But that's just who he was, right? And so it's kind of a tricky story. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole story about Jacob and, and Rebecca trying to steal something from Esau. But here's what you need to know. I say this to you often. Remember that the Old Testament gives us physical pictures of spiritual truths. And so when you watch this interaction in Genesis 27, what you're actually seeing, you're seeing the picture of redemption. You're seeing it played out how we have been redeemed. What do you mean by that, Jody? Okay, well, let's look. 
So you have Esau is the older brother. Because he's the older brother, the, the blessing belongs to Esau. And the only way that Jacob could get the blessing from Esau is that somehow the father had to identify Jacob as Esau. Isn't this what we see in the, in the whole thing when you watch it? The father had to go, that's Esau. And Esau is the rightful heir of the blessing, so I'll give it to him. But somehow Jacob had to take on that identity of Esau. How did he do it? Somebody we never pay attention enough to in this story is Rebecca. Have you ever seen this? Rebecca, the mom. Come on, you women. Um, so if, if, if the Old Testament gives us physical pictures of spiritual truths, it talks about Bible symbolism. Let me submit something to you. In this account, Rebecca is playing the part of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you ever caught this. You say, Jody, how is that? What does that look like? Well, look at this. Rebecca knew Isaac, knew the father, knew how to please the father, knew the father's tastes, knew the father's character, his actions, the way he dealt with things. And so Rebecca is like, if we're going to do this, all you got to do, Jacob, is you just got to let me coach you up. And if you'll follow my instructions, what you'll find is you'll end up with the blessing and being a, a pleasing to your father if you just listen to my voice. That's what Rebecca was doing. What does that have to do with us? How many of you know that when we're born again, the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of us? And the Holy Spirit knows the heart of the father. He knows what the father desires. He knows what pleases the father. Our job, all we got to do is let the Holy Spirit on the inside of us coach us up. And we'll find us ourselves in line for a blessing from the father by listening to the Holy Spirit. Tonight, um, we're starting a, um, our equip classes. And so there's, I think, three different equip classes starting tonight. Uh, Jess, Pastor Jess is teaching one on hearing the voice of God. He and I were talking this week about the curriculum and the content, and we were having this discussion, and I brought this up to him. And I said, a lot of people, you know, how many of you want to hear from God? You want to hear the voice of God. Well, you know what we often do, though? We often, what we think is God is in heaven, and I am down here, and I'm trying to hear this voice that's out there. That's why we all say, God, please speak to me audibly. Come on, how many of us? Why? Because on this planet, the five senses are the big deal. That's how we live our life with these five senses. And so when we talk about hearing the voice of God, we assume that he's up in heaven and somehow his voice has to get from heaven down here on earth where I live. Here's what you're missing. God speaks through the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of you. That's the reason God's voice is going to come from internally instead of externally. Because we were indwelt by his very spirit. And all we got to do is listen for the word of the Holy Spirit. Quit trying to listen from here and listen from here. And so you see Rebecca in this story and she's, she's coaching up Jacob like, okay, here's what you got to do. If, if you and I are going to steal this blessing, pretty conniving. And so she tells him what to do. Um, it's interesting. <clears throat> she said, uh, go, you're going to have to go kill a couple of goats 
And so, again, this is a picture of the redemptive story. There was a sacrifice in redemption, amen? And we see sacrifice there. And then it specifically says that she took Esau's robe and she put it on Jacob. So she got his robe and put it on him. Then after they had killed those those goats, she took the goat skin and put it on his hand, on Jacob's hand. It covered his hand and on the back of his neck because Esau was one hairy dude, right? And that's how Jacob was going to be identified as Esau from feeling the covering either on his hands or on the back of his neck and the fact that he was covered in Esau's robe. So Rebecca's position in Jacob, getting him in, you know, doing all the right things. And then finally the moment comes and the father pulls Jacob close to him. Isaac at this time is blind. He can't see. And so he's trying to identify, is this Jacob or is this Esau? And so he pulls him close and it says that, that Isaac smelled the robe, smelled the robe of, of Esau And it smelled like outdoors. Come on, hunters. Smelled like outdoors. Esau must have not been married. Because his wife would have had that thing smelling like something else, right? Isaac smells it and said, ah, that's the smell. That's that's the smell of of the older brother. And then... He, he said, come here, I want to touch you. And he reached out and it specifically says that Isaac touched the hand of Jacob. And he felt the hand and he's like, that's the hand of Esau. That's not the hand of Jacob, right? And, and it specifically says this. It says the voice belongs to Jacob, but the hand, the smell, everything else belongs to Esau. And he gave the blessing. Now, what does that have to do with us? When I, you or I go to pray, you know, when, when Jody starts praying, God's up there and he goes, that's the voice of Jody. That's not the voice of my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the, that's the voice of Jody. And Jody doesn't have the right to ask blessing of me because he's not the older, he's not the older son. Right? And so I start praying and, and God's like, who am I hearing from? And so what he does is he reaches over to his right side because we know that Christ is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he leans over and takes a sniff of Jesus. And Jody doesn't smell so good, but Jesus smells just right in the presence of the Father. And then he reaches over and he touches the hand. And he said, that's Jody's voice I'm hearing, but he feels around on that hand until he finds the nail holes in the hands of Jesus. And he said, the voice isn't the voice of my son. Oh, but the hand is. The robe is. Church, listen to me. As believers, we are hidden in Christ. We're covered in Christ. We have a robe of righteousness. Our identity is in Christ. And and the Father sees that and gives a blessing. A blessing is released, not because I'm the preferred son, but I'm hidden in the preferred son. Church, we got to pray from a position of righteousness. Did that, did that story mean anything to you? Beautiful, isn't it? So we pray from a position of righteousness. Number three, moving quickly. Pray with authority and expectation. 
If we're going to have an effective prayer life, pray with authority and expectation. We talked about this last week. You and I were created to have dominion on this planet. That's how God created humanity. But even beyond that, let me show you a couple scriptures. The book of Ephesians, the third chapter, beginning in the 14th verse. This is Paul. Paul is writing this, and this is what he is praying for the church that happens to be in the town of Ephesus. There was a city of Ephesus. There was a church there. This letter was written to him. In this letter, he writes his prayer that he's praying for them. Here it is. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all the family in heaven and earth is named. See, there's that family thing we talked about. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Jump down to verse 20 now. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We were created to have dominion, yes. But not only that, the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. It empowers us. We can pray. We can pray with authority. We've been given the name of Jesus. We've been given authority and dominion. We need to quit praying these begging, pleading prayers and stand up in the identity that's been given us by that, by that, that's the power of that spirit that is work in us. I stand up and I pray from a position of authority and then I pray with expectancy because we serve the God who does exceed abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He lacks nothing. There is no, there is no deficit in God. There is no shortness of, of resources in God. He is our rock. He is our refuge. He is our strong tower. He is our provider. He is our sustainer. He's the one who empowers us. He's the God who's limitless. We need to begin to pray with authority and expectation. We got to get this right, church. Fourth key for effective, effective prayer is this. Pray first, pray often, and include thanksgiving. Look with me at Philippians 4, beginning in verse 6. It says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Listen, when you and I are facing a challenge, what is usually the first thing we do? Anxiety kicks up. Worry kicks up. We, we, we just get in our head and we start, we start mulling this thing around. And I don't know about you, but when I get in here, things can go really dark. How many of you have started with a little problem and by the time you're done with it, the world's ending? Everything has gone black. There's nothing good on this planet. All of it's going to hell in a handbasket, right? I mean, that, that's just the way we think. But what it says here is the first thing is we need to don't let worry, don't let anxiety in. What does that look like? It means you're going to have to take captive some thoughts in your head. You're not just going to be able to let your mind go wherever it wants to go. You're going to have to stand up in strength and go, listen, I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care. I'm standing on the promises of God and I'm going to stand till the very end. So first thing we got to do is we got to check that stuff. 
And then he gave us instructions. He gave us the formula for peace. How many of you have had a time in your life where I just need peace? Well, Philippians 4 gives us the formula for peace. He says this, first of all, don't be anxious. Some translation says, don't worry. But he said, by everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto your father. Church, we got to pray first. We got to begin to pray. Calling Pookie and them is not always a good thing. Right? That was pretty funny. Google doesn't need to be our first, you know, reach out to Siri. That was pretty funny too. Come on, we got to pray. Lord, there's something going on in my world. I need to talk to you about it first. I need, I need to go straight to you first. Pray first. Pray often. Jesus told that story of the guy just banging on his neighbor's door. He said, you knock and you just keep on knocking. Some of you, have, you don't have your breakthrough yet. You just need to keep knocking. You just need to keep knocking. You need to get some determination, get some perseverance, and you just need to keep knocking. But it hadn't changed yet. Keep knocking. The story's not over. You're still breathing on this planet. The story's not over. Amen. We just need to keep knocking. Pray first, pray often, and include thanksgiving. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Because how many of us, when something's going on in our world, Thanksgiving is the last thing we're focused on. And the enemy, he's just going to, again, he's going to point to everything that's wrong and just swallow you up in depression and want to just close you off. You know, the, you know how you fight that? Begin to be thankful. Start with thanksgiving. Before you make all your requests made known unto God, just begin to thank him for what he's done so far. Well, Jody, you don't know my situation Here's what I know is when you woke up this morning, there was oxygen in your lungs. You got up. You were able somehow to get out of bed. Thank God there was some clothes in your house. You probably had a toothbrush. You may not have had toothpaste, but you probably got a toothbrush at least. And you made it here. Somehow you got here. Maybe you just need to thank God. Maybe you don't have the vehicle you want, but you, you've got one. Thank God for the car you have. I mean, well, I don't have a car. Well, thank God for the bicycle that got you here. If you don't have that, thank God for the two feet that got you, that you were able to walk in here with. You understand what I'm saying, church? Begin with Thanksgiving. Begin with Thanksgiving. I love when Josh Cole was here and, and he gave us that little formula. I still use it. It says when we're in prayer, it's I thank him. I love him and I need him. Isn't that a beautiful formula for prayer? Begin with, I thank you, God. Our prayer time should start in that way. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for every good thing in my life. I thank you for it. I love you for it. My response from your goodness is the fact that I love you. And then lastly becomes, I need you. In fact, God, I need you in this way. I need to make my request to you right now. And we begin to unpack for the Lord what we need him to do. So pray first, pray often, and include thanksgiving. Really focus on thanksgiving. Remember, I say this to you often, whatever you focus on grows. If you focus on the issues in your life, they're gonna grow. 
and they're going to take over everything in your world. But if you begin to focus on the good things in your life, I believe every person here, every person in the sound of my voice, we all have one thing we can give thanks for. Amen? And so let's focus there. Number five, moving quickly. Number five is that we need to make sure that we are praying according to God's will. We're talking about keys to an effective prayer life. Keys that we're going to walk out of here and use. We need to pray according to God's will. Look with me at 1 John 5, beginning in verse 14. The Apostle John writing here, he says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. The Apostle John, he writes here, he says, We have a confidence, confidence in the fact that if we pray according to God's will, he hears us. And if he hears us, he's going to answer our prayers. And everybody in the room says amen to that. But here's where some of us get hung up. It's on that phrase, his will. Like, well, yes, of course, God answers a prayer that is his will. But many of us has been taught that we can't know God's will. That God's will is some mystery. And it comes time for prayer. It's just a, let's roll these dice in prayer and see if God's in the right mood. Or if somehow God in his sovereignty would answer my prayer because God's will is some mystery out there. Listen to me, church. The word of God is clear. Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, we can know the will of God. That's what 2 Corinthians 2 teaches us. That we can know God's will, first of all, because of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Secondly, it's because we see it in his word. In his word, we can see his will. I can tell you God's will for your life. It's written in the word. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago that Jesus is the express image of the character of God. That's the word, what the word tells us. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God thinks, if you want to know what God's priorities are, look at the life of Jesus because he was the express image of the nature of God. So when we look at Jesus, what did Jesus do for people? Well, look in Acts 10, verse 38. It tells us exactly what Jesus did. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Jesus walked in the perfect will of God and what did he do with that power that was invested in him by the Holy Spirit? He did good with it. He did, he did good for people. He healed all that were oppressed of the devil. If you were oppressed of the devil, get ready. Here's a prophetic word for you. Ready? God's will is for you to be free from oppression from the devil. It just is. Now, I don't mean, we live in a fallen world. I don't, I don't mean tough times are never coming. Y'all hear me on that? Tough times are coming on this planet. They are. And the tough times, God works in the tough times because in those tough times, he is working in us. My patience is being developed. My perseverance is being developed. My character, my integrity, I'm being developed in, in the tough times. We know that. Can I hear an amen? They're coming. But God's design is not for us to stay there. God has called us to victory. First of all, you need to know this. You can't have victory without a fight. 
And so tough times are coming. There's going to be fights, but God's will is for you to come out of that fight, a victor, not a victim. It's God's, it's his will that we overcome sickness comes up against you. Listen, that's, that's an attack from the enemy. That's not from God. But, but those things come. It's in those moments that we stand up and we say, according to the word of God, by his stripes, I am healed. And, and healing is my inheritance from God. So I'm going to stand in faith, believing what the word of God said. I'm not going to let my eye offend me. I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm going to walk by faith. What does the word of God say? We can pray according to his will. And when we do that, we know that he hears us. Apostle John writing again in 3 John 1, 2. This is what Paul was saying to the church. He said, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. If God's will wasn't for people to be healthy and prosperous, then John would have been praying against the will of God right there. The, the apostle John said, listen, you know what I want? I want you to be healthy. I want you to be whole. I want you to be prosperous in your soul, in your body, in your spirit. The will of God is that his people walk in the blessing that his son purchased for them on the cross. That's just the bottom line. Are we going to have to fight for it sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we can come out of those fights a victor and not a victim. Number six in my last key. I'm working up a sweat up here. Mm -hmm. This is, this is super deep. And this is, this is the best key of it already. This is, this is number six key to effective prayer. If you're wearing a wig, you may want to hang on to it. Here it is. Ready? Get started. If you want to have an effective prayer life, get started. I was expecting something. I don't know what it was, but I was. You got to get started. I'm afraid in, in the American church too often we are hearers of the word and not doers. I can hand you all the keys in the world, but it's only you that's going to put in the ignition and turn it. We have to set a daily discipline of prayer. We have to set a daily discipline of prayer. This year has been so cool. Because we started January off with prayers at church, our, our Monday night prayer um, prayer times as a church, it was so beautiful. If you were here and that was a blessing, wasn't that wasn't that beautiful? It was so cool. We prayed together. We prayed individually. We prayed for one another. We prayed for things as a body. It was so beautiful. Really felt this year to emphasize prayer tonight. Um, Laurie and I. We'll be teaching it's the, our marriage essentials equip class. So we have an equip class on marriage starting tonight. If you didn't sign up, you're late. So you're out. Um, I would normally invite you, but we had to close registration for some reasons or something. So we're going to teach it again later on in the year. So you can sign up for the next one. I don't know if I did that well. I may have just heard a bunch of people's feelings. Yeah. But we're going to be doing an equip class on marriage beginning tonight. And you know what we're going to do in our equip class? Let me, uh, I'm going to give you a heads up. Okay. And you need to know this. 
in this equip class at some point, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray for one another. And I'm going to encourage and I'm going to coach and I'm going to help men. It's okay. Just listen for a second. Men, if you're here today, you're going to pray over your wife tonight. Women, when you're here, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray over your husband. There's power in prayer, church. We complain about our husbands. Do we pray for them? We complain about our wives. Do we pray for them? I just feel like for this year, the Lord's calling us to a deeper prayer life as a church. And that's what this has been an effort to do. With that in mind, would you stand with me?